0: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here on INC Live for the UFC 298 preview show. My name is Carl Bemridge and I am joined by the man on the right-hand side of my screen. He is the Gronk to my Tom Brady. He's my friend and yours, it's Joe Neal. Joe, thank you very much for joining us.
1: Glad to be here. Good American football reference. Uh, You know, I'm not a Tom Brady fan, but I can dig the duo you pick there.
0: Honestly, that is the level of depth that my NFL
1: knowledge comes from i i do love uh, the line in your greg hardy video on the main channel hint tense uh but uh, you said like you lifted his accomplishments in football and you said i don't know anything about american football but like i that sounds good yeah <laughs> i think that's funny but i'm glad to be here i'm glad to be the sting to your darby allen uh because me and sting share the same body type despite the fact that he's in his 60s and i turned 30 and about four months. I was going to say, George, that's
0: pretty harsh on Sting there. I mean, he is a an older gentleman, and I mean, he's still competing at a high level comparatively.
1: They I mean, if he, I'd like they, to look
0: like him at sixty-two.
1: Honestly, he's. I've I've seen him. Uh, I've seen him take super kicks and no solemn. That's a level of toughness I want to aspire to. But more importantly, he wears a T-shirt because it protects him from uh, nipple twists, uh, <laughs> as in. When, I think it was the first Forbidden Doors, uh, one of the Bullet Club Japan guys tried giving him a nipple twist, and he no-sold it.
0: Are the Bullet Club, like, you know, high school bullies
1: or something like that? They used to be. They're, like, at least, like, that's what they feel like now. They used to, that was, like, kind of, like, I felt like their, their joke whenever Kenny Omega let them. But, uh, now, like, I don't even know what's going on with them now. They've, they've definitely run their course, for sure, in New Japan.
0: Now this show will
1: be going out at the
0: same time as the Super Bowl. We recorded on the Saturday and upload on Sunday evening. And um, being pro wrestling fans, we have got a little bit of a Sunday night war going on here. We're going to be going up directly against the Super Bowl. And Joe, I think it's safe to say this is going to be the least watched
1: show we have ever done. I don't, I don't believe that because you know, there's a, uh, being an American. There's a lot of people, a lot of conspiracy theories that. The NFL is script, and I'm don't. I'm not i not going to re- say my sources, but I actually do have the script here for the Super Bowl. So it looks like the Chiefs are going to lose by 27 points. You know,
0: yeah, okay, that'll put butts in seats, you know? I knew, I knew. The moment you got, when you said it was scripted, I knew you were going to make a Tony Schiavone reference.
1: I love him so much, but I had to do it. Whenever we said war, I was like, I have a piece of paper right here I can use. <laughs> so... Uh, For anybody who is uh, slightly
0: curious right now, yes, this is an MMA show. We're going to be talking about UFC 298, which will be taking place in just under a week's time. Taking place in uh, Diaz country. We're back in California as well. Uh, We will be mentioning the Diazes a little bit later on in the show, so please stay tuned to that one. Um, But Joe, UFC 298, we got the Jurg off with a... A bit of a misfiring star. 297 didn't really fire on all cylinders. Hopefully, this might just be the kickstart that this
1: year needs. 297 was not a great card. Uh, very few times in my uh, where I've said, "Oh, I am really upset I paid for this card," because usually I can find that diamond in the rough. But that one, I, I was kind of struggling to be like, "Yeah, I guess I, I guess I got the card," you know. Well,
0: as uh, Twitter's only Raquel Pennington fan, um, I. Disagree?
1: Actually, that was a great moment. That fight was pretty good, but the moment was actually pretty, ah, you know, you got me there. I mostly am thinking of the main event, which was, I felt like we were grasping at straws naming that fight of the night, admittingly.
0: I I have, to be honest though, I'm kind of somber though, because obviously I'm so happy for Rocky to actually get that title. Good feel, good story. It's kind of sort of like similar to what happened with Bisping, when he got that title late in his career. But it means I'm gonna to have to replace her in my
1: um my stable. You gotta find somebody. And I think there is someone on this card that you can probably replace her with. I think I'm, even the first fight on this prelim.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna be leaning toward I was actually leaning towards uh Tol
1: Macy. Oh, actually that's a really good one. Macy Chance. Yeah, I think she is very underrated. hmm I think I think she was having a competitive fight against Aldana cool. until I don't care what she says. That was a flu cup kick. <laughs> There's no way you practiced that, but it's, uh, you know, I think she was making it competitive, who got a title shot off of that fight, so.
0: Yeah. um. So we are here to talk about 298. Hopefully it will make up for that sort of sour taste in people's mouths when it came to 297. Now, one thing that 297 had, which we're also seeing a lot in MMA in recent weeks, the UFC are going very middleweight heavy. And I know you sort of brought it up when you did your uh, post-fight reaction because it's Hermanson versus Fife. Why do you think the UFC are leaning so heavily on the 185 class?
1: Because they're in desperate need of new blood. Uh, this is a division that has... For lack of a better term that's coming to my head now, it's not very good. It, I almost said that's a better term than what I was going to use. It's not very good right now. Like, you have strickland's good obviously former champion duple c he's good you know it's kind of an amazement he wins fights when you watch him fight but he is good you know um you have bobby knuckles you have adesanya who probably is coming back uh pretty soon is from what he was saying i know he says like i'm done i'll come back like in new year's time and he's like i'm just kidding no maybe i'm not i don't know what's going on with him uh but sure um, at the same, I don't know though like if Jared Cannonier as well, but like there's guys like Marvin Vittori who's kind of fallen off a little bit. Uh, you know, Mark Andre Barrio, uh, Roman De, uh, Imovov, and Brendan Allen. Brendan Allen, actually, who is very exciting on the come up. Um, very much turned it around. I was hoping Paul Craig would be like some new blood for this division. Uh, but he obviously he's one and one. He still can do it for sure. But uh, it, it's this division really needs some help because a lot of people have been here for a while. And the people, the top guys usually don't fight very often. Like I don't remember the last time Cannoneer fought. Uh, my brain says it was Strickland, but I know it wasn't. Um, you kind of want a guy like Chris Curtis to do better so he can get to that position. But I don't know. It's definitely an odd one. They need blood. And either that or they accidentally signed too many middleweights. And they're just like panic throwing them all when we can.
0: Uh, no middleweight fights on this card. But plenty surrounding it as we sort of touched on there. And there could be a middleweight fight on an upcoming card as well. Because Joe, at the time that we're recording this. Which is on the Saturday before this goes live. We still don't know what UFC 300's main event is.
1: Yeah, which is really weird. Uh, I think you... it's not what I think it is. but.
0: And what are you personally thinking it's going to be?
1: I was thinking it was... I was very adamant it was going to be Colby Belail, but... Not Colby Belail. Leon, Leon. Belail. I was thinking of Colby because I saw an article of him complaining about a broken foot <laughs> before we started. But um, Belail Muhammad and uh, Leon, I thought it was going to be. But I feel like... They would have jumped on that to announce it already. And I have this fear in the pit of my stomach that they're going to say it's Alex Pajeda going up to heavyweight for Tom Aspinall. That's a rumor that's gaining traction. I I don't want that. I I don't want that. Uh, I want Aspinall to starch him. But, I mean, I I don't know. I, I don't want that. I don't like the idea of a guy who, if anyone just had the foresight of shooting a double leg on, Yeah, like, just getting a chance to be a three-division champion.
0: It doesn't sit well with me either.
1: Yeah, it's a very... And hard.
0: especially as well that he would have done that despite never defending either of these other belts.
1: Yeah, basically.
0: Yeah. The one thing that gives me hope that, that it might not be the case is 301 is apparently going to be in Brazil, mm. and... If you don't have Pereira on that card, you're going to be leading with Pantoja in a pay-per-view main event, and I don't think the UFC are going to take that chance.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. The yeah. so I think I think they're probably better off waiting till 3:01 for him. Uh, obviously, I seeing Aspinall fight is exciting to me, but it feels really scummy seeing Pajeda in that getting a heavyweight shot as well against yeah. who I think is the real champion, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah, I'm personally thinking it's going to be uh, DDP versus Izzy, but I think they're haggling on um, money on that one, but we'll see how that goes. Or they're just going to announce it before they
1: even talk to either fighter. <laughs> they seem to be doing that a lot recently. Weird, weird. Apparently there's another fight on 300 that uh, is having that issue. Yeah. And they'll, and they, uh, Ariel Holani heard what it was, and he's like, I'm not going to risk anything here. You guys have fun.
0: Yeah. Uh, We will turn our attention, though, to USC 298. I'm going to be starting off by talking about the prelims. You can see those on your screen right now. And we're in the strawweight division. It's Amanda Lemo She was taking on Mackenzie Dern. And I'm going to open it up with this one, Joe. Is there still hype on the Mackenzie Dern hype train? Or did Jessica Andrade take away that last little bit of it?
1: Oh, man. Uh, I'm trying to think of how to word this because... I'm afraid to look at her. I have a picture here of her. I'm afraid to look at her because I'm going to get distracted. Um, <laughs> no, in all honesty, I th- I feel like the the hype trained for her hitting that levels probably left the station already. That said, she's always going to be a fan favorite. Relatively, because of a very marketable woman. Um, and single now today, you know saying we all <laughs> as you mentioned as you mentioned many times in our dms oh yeah that i did I like it's like alexis stop texting me today uh do you think McKenzie will <laughs> respond this time <laughs> <laughs> cheyenne Blismos is busy but um no uh yeah i i i think that train is probably left that station i i think uh, i think andrage put the the smackdown on her so hard that uh, I'm admittingly surprised she's coming back this early. Um, part of the reason for that, of course, is because
0: Lemosh was supposed to be fighting Tatiana Suarez. Yeah. Suarez, unfortunately, had to pull out through injury. Dern has jumped on this opportunity, which I think is probably the last chance that Dern's going to have to try and be in that sort of elite bracket. And there are things about Lemosh which we saw in the last fight she had against Wei mm-hmm. I think there maybe were some weaknesses against a grappling heavy fighter. So there is an opportunity for Dern, possibly, to exploit that. But Dern's going to have to eat a lot of big shots to try and get it to the mat. And that's where the concern comes from.
1: It could end up just like
0: the Andrade fight, potentially. Because round one, LeMarch is up there as one of the most dangerous fighters, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, unless you get her in an arm triangle standing. But I still, I will never forget watching that. I think it was like one of my first recap videos, and I went, like, that happened? That's crazy, but uh, and I think such a rough matchup for Mackenzie. Dern. I thought she might have been putting it together, and I gave her the edge in the Andrade fight. Big, big, big time wrong on that one. But that said, I, uh, I think, I think uh, she's gonna struggle here, pretty hard in a similar vein.
0: Yeah, so it's a last chance saloon for Mackenzie Dern, it could be the first big opportunity for uh, Justin Taffer, he's going to be taking on uh, Rogerio de Lima in a heavyweight encounter and I know why most people make this comparison, uh, for obvious reasons, but I think if you want a guy that's sort of like the new Mark Hunt, I think Justin Taffer might be a real good case for it, he is a lot of fun to watch.
1: A blast, and it's always funny because I think he adds an adds a level of intrigue because I, he's the first heavyweight ever to miss weight. Yes, he okay? is. And crazy that it took this long for that to happen, but uh, it, it's kind of uh, <laughs> funny enough. Actually, um, I know some people that jokingly call him Yokozuna because you know Yokozuna was actually Samoan, but um, you're ruining yeah. KFAB. What He you're saying Undertaker isn't an American badass. You're trying to tell me that? Um, but uh, <laughs> they uh, what uh, yeah um, this fight feels like Mark Hunt is a or <laughs> Justin Toffa. see, I'm already. Getting <laughs> <laughs> Justin Toffa is a lot of fun, but it a, adds a level of intrigue because for me, I go, is he actually gonna make weight like that's so funny. Uh, but he that said, he hits so hard and like he knocked out a guy who blocked a head kick of his, which which can happen, you know. Blocking a baseball bat with your hands isn't the best option. But uh hits like a truck at heavyweight, just like most people, but for him it's a little bit different. And he's taken on a guy who can submit him or KO him very quickly as well, which so that's a fight I don't see leaving round two at least. Like maybe the first round. That fight no chance that ghost decision i feel like anything else on the prelims that takes your interest opening up the card because uh, i kind of implied it uh was uh andrea lee but miranda maverick is fighting i thought maybe you might put her in the in i the have Gauss. a soft spot they for win. miranda i do have a soft mm-hmm.
0: spot i um i personally believe that miranda beat your girl mercy mhm she
1: absolutely did yep <laughs> i remember when they read that decision off i went I guess we'll take it. The, um, but... uh, the
0: big thing that stands out for me in in regards to this fight, though, it's not so much the fight itself, which I think will be serviceable enough it's opening up the card, is I think it's a testimony to how good women's flyweight has now got. Because there was once upon a time that people were touting Andrea Lee as a future chef opponent. Mm. And now... Obviously, she's 15. She's fighting to retain her place in the rankings. It just goes to show that you've had this new generation of Grasso, Blanchfield, Fioro, Tyler Santos, who've sort of, like, come through the silvers as well. It's, like,
1: women's 125 has got a ton better. It's gotten so good. Like, it secretly turned out that it might be, I think you can argue 125 is maybe better than 115 right now, Uh, but... I think there's definitely an argument for that. Obviously, nothing's better than 145, you know. The non-existent wear class. Yeah, I don't know. Well, hey, listen. Oh, no, she's not. She's fighting at, she's fighting at 135, Kayla Harris. <laughs> but I forgot. But, jeez, man. But regardless, this fight, I don't want to get too off track thinking about a horrifying weight cut. Uh, this fight, I think, is interesting. It's opening up the card. Uh, Andrea Lee... She can take you down, doesn't do much from on top, but she's got, like, a decent striking. Miranda Maverick is a very aggressive uh, grappler, so I think it'll kind of be, of can andre Lee keep off her back? And if so, is she going to, like, how big of her, of her advantage is going to be in the striking for her to capitalize on it? Uh, I think that sounds interesting. Yeah. Couple of standouts for me as
0: well, Vinya Nakamura, a Japanese mm-hmm. fighter with a ton of fanfare, he's unbeaten at the moment. He's gonna be taking on Carlos Virat. And also as well, if you want to know the sort of cutthroat nature of the UFC, especially around short notice fighters, Val Woodburn, who made his mm-hmm. debut on short notice against Bo Nickel, he took that fight on a week's notice. It was on International Fight Night. Um it was a it was on the main card actually. Yeah. Of course, doesn't go well for Val, and here he is, second fight on the fight pass prelims. It just goes to show you know that the UFC, He's... when they need you, you get the bells and whistles, but when they don't, there you
1: go. Yeah, well, I mean, at least at least they gave him a chance. You know, they gave Chris Moutinho a second chance.
0: They did. Uh, yeah. What 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 does it say, though? Guido Canetti finished uh, Chris Moutinho faster than Sean O'Malley did. Well, Sean O'Malley, I mean...
1: I'm not saying anything, but he might hit like a small girl. <laughs> I say that as he just won a fight by finish against Aljo, so you're like, eh, maybe not. I just uh, wanted to make that reference. Honestly, one of Jack Sluck's best lines, in my opinion. It's uh, yeah, it's a beat uh, Magomed Sheripov. He just hits like a small girl. <laughs> I mean, it, it, that kind of makes sense. How many times have you seen a guy? land that many picture-perfect left hooks on the chin of a guy and it doesn't even phase him like i don't know it's kind of odd but um yeah i mean i think the prelims are pretty good i mean the main card obviously we're going to talk about but that main card i I always forget how good it is until i look at it
0: yeah it's certainly a step in the right direction after what happened at uh, 297
1: Mm mm-hmm yeah
0: 299 even looks good So we open up the main card in the middleweight division and the number 14 seed, Anthony Fluffy Hernandez, he will be defending his ranking up against the short notice Roman Kopolov. Now originally this was supposed to be Hernandez taking on Ikram Alaskarov which would have been a fantastic bout. A lot of hype behind Ikram. Unfortunately though he has to pull out. Kopolov steps in on short notice. This was however a fight that was supposed to be taking place at Noche UFC so a little bit of rescheduling. Both fighters will have prepared game plans for one another. A lot of fanfare around of going into this fight based off his recent knockout streak. Is it, though, at 32 years old, a little bit too little too late for the Russian?
1: It's kind of odd because uh, he doesn't look 32. Um, he looks like Chase Hooper. My, yeah, he looks like... He, he looks like... Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big Pokemon fan because I grew up a nerd. Um, it looks like... Chase Hooper evolved into Kopilov, and then the final evolution is Ben Askren. (laughs) You know? It's kind of what I feel like. Maybe Kopilov's the final, uh, because he is a bigger guy. I was going to say,
0: Askren, um, he fought most of his career as a welterweight, didn't he?
1: Yeah, welterweight. So, And they usually get bigger in in it. But that said, uh, I don't know, Kopilov's fun. I think he kind of gives a lot of, like, Cro Cop vibes to his attack, Southpaw, Tons of southpaw weapons and body shots galore, which is, I feel like even everybody loves the KOs, but body shots get everyone excited too. Um, I, I think it could be too little, too late. But that said, I mean the the champion. How old is uh, Duplessis? What he's thirty three, isn't he? I think he might be. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, being in your thirties in this in this division isn't the end of the world. I think. Not, not in the same way it is for the sort of
0: like lightweight and under.
1: Yeah, when you hit 34, it's, uh, 30, what is it, the Curse of 35? We'll curse of 35, later. yeah. <sighs> yeah, obviously it's not like that, thankfully. But um, I, I think, you know, once you get kind of higher up, I mean, A wasn't champion until he was in his 30s. And, uh, you know, cro has been perpetually 42, I'm pretty sure, his whole life. He, he doesn't look like he ages. I saw a picture of him in Pride early days. Looks like the same guy I saw. KO, Rampage. <laughs> the,
0: um, the one that always sticks in my mind, it's not so much MMA, but Patrick Stewart. Like, Patrick mm. Stewart has always looked 60.
1: Yeah. Uh, he's uh, one of my, like, favorite early, besides Star Trek, is uh, Patrick Stewart has a movie. It was a TV, HBO movie, I think, in the 90s called Safe House. That's very, very good. And, uh, yeah, he looks the exact same. <laughs> in it.
0: A lot of people framing this one as striker versus grappler. Would you say that's fair? I think that's
1: super fair. Because Fluffy Hernandez, most of his finishes come on the ground. Um, he can strike with you, but, like, he's most noted because of, the, you know, the Adolfo Vieira win. Um, he had another win. Obviously, I think it was Marc-Andre Barrio he finished on the ground. Which, big feather in that cap, I think. Um, but... Uh, like, I, I always kind of feel like, at least in terms of where the other one is going to have the advantage of, it's going to be the grappling for Fluffy and the striking for Kopilov.
0: Yeah. Good thing you mentioned the uh, Vieira fight, because that's, um, that's probably Fluffy's most notable win. Other ones include uh, Edmund Shabazian, uh, Rodolfo Vieira, as we mentioned before, Barrio, mm-hmm. and also a win in LFA up against Brendan Allen. It always seems like a lot of these sort of like big middleweight prospects. We've gone through Brendan Allen at some point. Like, we Poor were talking dude. on the on the last fight, the 297 card. It was almost like everybody's
1: fought him at some point and beaten him. Poor dude, man. I feel yeah. bad for the guy. Him and Jordan Wright. Those are two names I always see on every single one. Brendan Allen, Jordan Wright. Yeah.
0: The Beverly Hills Ninja. Honestly, probably one of the best nicknames in the sport of recent years. It's a
1: fantastic one.
0: I'm not... I wouldn't be
1: surprised if someone has Jordan Wright in their boy stable. Probably. Yeah. I, I just wish he looked more like Chris Farley. <laughs> like or more accurately, Chris Farley from the Chippendale skit with Patrick Swayze. Uh, <laughs> but this fight I think is gonna be pretty I think it's really interesting. Would you because... say
0: would you say it's a better match than Alaskarov? Cause obviously I would say between the two, I would say Ikram is a better fighter than Kopolov. Yeah. But I think that fight would have only sort of been a It would have been sort of a showcase, similar to what the Wally Alves' fight was for Ikram. Mm -hmm. It's just, he is the guy who's going to be a future title challenger. He's on a main card. Let's watch him beat some schmuck. That's kind of the framing device of what the UFC were trying to give. At least with this one, it's going to be a little bit more competitive.
1: I think so too, but I also think I would have... I, I probably would have picked Alaskarov, but I would have also said Fluffy Hernandez could could make us could make the ufc look very stupid which is appealing to me because i think i think fluffy hernandez does have pretty pretty solid upside he i don't know if he'll ever title challenge for a title you never say never in this division i guess Sean strickland was champion the beginning of the year duplessis champion (laughs) what's happening dude um but um I I kind of feel like his ceiling is he'll break into top five at one point. I think he'll have, like, a Marvin esque run, but without the gifted title shot. Um, It's kind of the vibe I'm kind of getting. Uh, With Kopilov, I think this fight is probably closer. I I think I can agree with that. It's much more competitive. But it's also pretty interesting as well because, I mean, Kopilov puts the guys out like with body shots and I kind of want to see Fluffy Hernandez kind of deal with that because it's really hard to grapple a guy when you're constantly getting kicked in the body when you're stepping in or getting kneed you know uh also Kopilov has a good straight left to the body which is a great weapon to keep someone out I think things like that kind of make it interesting but like like with a lot of these strikers who are a little older you always kind of go they're probably dead on the ground and that is where Fluffy Hernandez can definitely take advantage because he's very aggressive on the ground.
0: I think I'm right in saying that uh, one of Kopalov's early losses because he actually started his UFC career 0 and 2, yeah. And the losses were Albert Durayev and Carl Roberson. And if I mm. remember correctly, I think Roberson
1: submitted him. I think it was an arm yeah. triangle. Yeah, he did. He, I think he just like, if I remember correctly, because Roberson always kind of comes across as like ex football player, double with his double leg, you know. Uh, I always think of uh, when he kicked off the cage while in a guillotine against Marvin Vittoria. It's like always the the image in my head. Because that's just a crazy moment. Um, and um, what's it called? Uh, I I think he just power doubled him and then just, you know, eventually got the arm triangle. Because Roberson was a pretty decent grappler. You know, he wasn't awful at it. Um, and I remember him kind of snatching that up pretty good. I can think of worse UFC fighters
0: currently in the promotion than Roberson.
1: He gets a lot of crap. I don't understand it. Um, I think he's one of the few entertaining guys. He always like kind of makes it a blood feud with whoever he's fighting to, which I think is really fun. You know, He might not win these blood feuds sometimes, but yeah, he's I like the guy. Definitely boy-worthy for sure, yeah. I think. There's two things that
0: really stand out for me when it comes to uh, Kopilov, because obviously there was that 0-2 start to his career, and he came into the UFC unbeaten, he was dominating people on the Russian regional scene. The big thing for me, which I, the change I've seen in his game after those two losses was, right. I think Kopolov had an habit of he would just use volume striking to overwhelm people, and that's how he'd get mm-hmm. all of his wins when he fought in Russia. Against tougher opposition, he realized, hey, I can't fall back on that in the same way that I used to, and now he's being a little bit more cautious. He's being more thoughtful about what shots he's using to try and put people away. and that feels like a sniper. And that, to me, has led to this upturn and fall.
1: Mm. Feels very much like a sniper. He'll, he'll sit there in what I always kind of think of, because I'm a fighting game guy, as the neutral. And kind of like fainting, moving, and then, boom, there's a left hand. Oh, there's a kick. And it's just very kind of methodical, like how he kind of picks you, like snipes you, snipes at you over and over. And he hits so hard that eventually these shots are going to put someone out. Yeah. That said, I wanna I wanna stress whenever I hear unbeaten on the re- on the Russian regional scene, I always picture the combined win loss record of like Habib before he got to the UFC. Like, what is it like three and fifty nine? It's like, oh jeez. Spoiler um, alert!
0: I've actually thought, you know, about doing a video looking at the sort of whether the criticisms of Habib's regional record are warranted. Like, to actually mm. go back, watch those fights, and see, basically add a little bit of backstory to the guys that he actually fought and whether or not people are right to criticize him or whether they're just being a bit harsh.
1: I saw one video that was really caught my eye. It was for a different sport. It was basketball and it was uh, making a case against every potential goat. And I think that could be a very interesting thing if we did that for, uh, but we don't, we don't like her negative videos and No, but, No, uh, but cause that video felt like overly negative to me. But I think that would I think an MMA version of that would happen. Yeah. Um. I'm quite negative, so I could always shit talk to champs <laughs> if anyone wants me to. Maybe we'll make the Patreon exclusive. <laughs> yeah, me just <laughs> slander against every champion ever. <laughs> like except Boss Rudin. Yeah, he beat Randleman. That's all I'm gonna add on that. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I am interested about
0: with this fight is we know the couple of hits like a truck, and especially his uh, attacks to the body. Anthony Fluffy Hernandez has been notoriously durable and very hard to put away. We saw that against Vieira. We've seen that against round one Shabazian, who pretty much puts everything into that first round and then immediately collapses. It's always been the Edmund way. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be interesting to see if Fluffy can survive those big Kopelov shots. And if he does, can he make the fight dirty? Can he make it grimy and pull uh, Kopolov into those deep waters where... Maybe the cardio's a bit uh, weaker. Maybe the grappling, the takedown defense, isn't as strong as it was in our first round. I'm going to be interested to
1: see if durability
0: potentially plays a part in this fight.
1: I think that's a very good point. I think one thing, too, in case people try and discredit his durability, I've seen this, is Kevin Holland KO'd him in like, or in like 40 seconds. Well, to be fair, Kevin Holland at that point in time was going to become fighter of the year for 99% of us, uh, in 2020, he was on a hot streak and he actually hits really hard. So like, and you can get caught even though you're durable, you know, like we've seen it thousands of times. Um, like Anderson Silva was actually very durable and there are times where, you know, a lesser judge probably would have called it in his first shell son fight. Right. Like, uh, there are definitely some moments in that fight where it's like, you could probably call it here. Um, I think the durability is going to be a factor. Because that Hadolfo-Vieta fight shows you how much, like, uh, I always hate the term, but heart. Yeah. Someone has, you know, and that that resiliency to keep going, even though, like, which that fight is amazing. (laughs) That fight is really crazy when you think about Hadolfo-Vieta's grappling pedigree and then this guy guillotines him it's awesome not for odolfo well yeah but tough luck bud uh just kidding but yeah pretty pretty awesome as a fan because odolfo
0: fought um yesterday didn't he yeah it just goes to show yeah. you know that like like there was a lot of people hyping him as sort of like a, a potential prospect, an intriguing guy kind of it's sim- similar sort of mold as sort of like a marco madsen type he had this great acclaimed pre- UFC career and grappling. Let's see mm-hmm. what he does at the top level. And that just took all the wind out of Adolfo's sails. And I don't think he's ever been held in
1: as high of a guard. No, it's crazy how that happens. Like, um, it wasn't, it was Gokun that came in and got mm. KO'd by, like, Khalil, know, Bountry. Khalil Bountry. And then like, there goes that, you know? Um... Like it's it's always really interesting when you see these like mega stars enter MMA. There's a reason like Gordon Ryan is never gonna be in the UFC. That and he can't. That in his urine will melt the cup. <laughs> <sighs> that guy's got like radiation, you know, like his Rads from Fallout style are through the roof. But um, there's a reason you're never gonna see him, like in the UFC probably, because he would have an incredible amount of hype. I hate he just takes out one. You I, hate that
0: you, uh, I hate that you said his urine would melt the cup just as I was taking a drink of tea. I,
1: to be fair on my part, when someone is recording an OBS, I can't see their camera. <laughs> so there was no way for me to know. <laughs> that's a, um, But... Uh, damn it, that's really funny. But... Uh, like I, I, that's what kind of makes a guy like Bo Nickel kind of special. Is granted he hasn't fought like competition yet, but uh, what kind of makes him like interesting is if he beats like competition, competition. Then okay, you know, like this guy is the is the man because it, it's really it, it's such a it's such a steep fall when you come in accomplished in something outside and then you know don't have that success here speaking of the next guy fighting is a guy is a great example of the opposite of that a guy who's fault never had that fall really which way are you leaning towards this one before we move on to this next fight i think fluffy is gonna get that fight to the mat at one point i think i think he gets it to the mat and i think he just beats him beats him up and snatches a neck from there
0: I'm leaning that way too. I don't think that uh, Fluffy's going to finish Kopelov, but I usually when it goes to striker versus grappler, I lean towards the grappler. I think mm-hmm. that Koppelov is going to have... I can picture Kopelov winning the first round,
1: mm-hmm. but I
0: don't see him getting the finish. And I think those second and third rounds, I'm going to think that um, Fluffy takes control. So I'm going to say Fluffy, unanimous decision.
1: I think the big thing for me is how... Before your gas tank starts to – and your takedown defense starts to wane, because that's just a natural thing for any fighter, how how much do you attack the body successfully before that to kind of bring his cardio down to your level? Uh, if not, make it worse because that's kind of something I'm interested in. So I think it depends on how much body shots Fluffy takes early on that, depend, that will signal – his success and how much he has of it in the later rounds. Um, that said, I do think once he gets him down, I feel like he's a big finisher. I think he, I think he puts him away second or third round for sure. Yeah.
0: Um, I've got it listed here actually that his um, of the um, of the submissions he's had in his career seven submissions five of them have come by guillotine, so that could and be he, a potent weapon.
1: Yeah, he and he's good at getting him from top position as well. Like he'll get, he'll, he'll stretch you out. And, uh, I, sorry, a random Jeff Jarrett quote popped in my head when I said, stretch you out, but, uh, and, um, but he, I think he's really good at like very similar to, I forgot who was doing it recently, uh, using L el- it was Gilbert Melendez. I saw doing it. Well, Gilbert would elbow and kind of force the pro- his opponent to kind of put in most guys like Tony have like Tony Ferguson going for like darsh chokes off of that. I've seen Fluffy attempt guillotines from there so um, I think that is definitely uh, something he can definitely snatch up because he's pretty good at snatching that neck.
0: Fight number two and we're going to a match which in my opinion should be personally if it was up to me this would be the core main of this fight. I'm very excited for this one. It is Marab Dvalishvili who is taking on the former champion Henry Cejudo. Number two versus number three potentially. A title fight could be at stake for the winner of this one. Uh, Marab comes in as a minus 190 favorite. You can get Cejudo at plus 160. And we'll deal with the elephant in the room first here. Should Marab de Valishvili already be fighting for the belt?
1: Absolutely. Um, he is clearly... I mean, when Aljo was champion, we all said, okay, well, in reality, this guy's the number two guy. You know? Well, now that Aljo's not, how does he go to number three? I, I don't really understand the logic there, especially because Aljo's not even going to fight at 135 anymore. So why is Cheeto leaping him? Uh, and it's I think the answer is quite clear. They don't want Sean O'Malley to lose that quickly, even though Cheetos probably could, I think, is going to beat him. But Mirab is such a nightmare <laughs> for Sean O'Malley.
0: I actually posted a poll on the uh, Twitter page asking the same question that... Uh, why hasn't mirab got the title fight yet? And people seem to be split three ways. Uh, some people think that it's because Dana still has that feud with Aljamain and mm-hmm. he wants to try and punish Murab by being sort of like his best buddy because he wanted to do that fight and mirab said no because the teammates, that sort of thing, which rubbed Dana the wrong way for whatever reason. Yeah. Uh, others were the same as you. that They thought that mirab um, would be a stylistic nightmare for Sean O'Malley, who the UFC have a vested interest in. And there were other people who thought that Marab, being this sort of cardio wrestler, very grappling heavy, it just wouldn't have been an exciting style to have such a champion.
1: I think, it's funny, he's like a cardio wrestler, but outside of one fight, which I will never forgive him for. Aldo. Against Aldo, I'll never forgive Marab for that. That said, outside of that fight, he's been a blast for me. Yeah, I I enjoy watching Marab. His Piotr Jan performance is a masterclass, like, of pressure, pressure, pressure. It is, like, for me, that fight went, oh, yeah, you're you're a top guy right now. (laughs) Like, let's go. Um, Because the thing that stood out
0: for me as well was that, and a lot of people forget this because it's, like, just over a year ago, that Piotr Jan still had this real aura around him because the first Aldro fight, you obviously had the uh, illegal knee. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I <didn't> need him. <laughs> the second Aldro fight, and I saw some people make the argument that Jan won that one, mm-hmm. and then with the Sean O'Malley fight, everyone was unanimous in believing that Jan won that. So there was this over, mm-hmm. even though he had these losses. And Mirab just took that all away. That was such a eye opening performance to make people realise yes, this cardio wrestler who people seem to clown for whatever reason is legit. Take him seriously.
1: Yeah, it's like, because uh, I think, like, the only other guy, like, because Jan and Corey Sanhagen fought, and both those dudes had an aura going into that fight, and, I mean, obviously, one of the best fights I've ever, I it's I think a fantastic that's a, fight. That's a fight if I cover on the retro review is a 10 out of 10, like, I can just call it here, at least, and, because uh, no fight, Wank has ever broken my skill, and, <laughs> um, but, yeah, that fight is fantastic, and Yon came out with a win. You know, it's a close fight, but Yon Yawn pulled away, and he had an aura. And I remember my brother; he's a big he was a big Piotr Yon fan, and uh, we're watching the fight, and he goes, "What is Yon doing?" Like I said, dude, he's getting broken. Like Marab is breaking him, and it was just <laughs> never expected. I expected a competitive fight. But not like that. Like it was, it was wild. Uh, and he's fighting a guy who is like it's kind of like you ever like go to like the funhouse mirrors, <laughs> you know?
2: I will see like where this is
1: going. Yeah, you know, like so he's fighting like almost a mere reflection of him. But he's looking in that funhouse mirror that makes this <laughs> big And in Henry Cejudo, because these guys are a lot alike, and this is a. Uh, Two non-stop aggressive guys. One of them happens to have a cranium made of titanium. I think. I think this fight. This is. I all my own. My own. One of my first note on here is oh me meow, and and that means uh, this fight's gonna be fight of the night most likely. I think this is my pick. This fight is heaven. ...on paper for me. I love this fight.
0: Well, I certainly hope it's going to be the case. I think there's two certain ways the fights could play out... ...but we'll get to those later on. Um, A lot of the reason that people think that Murad deserves this title fight... ...is because a nine-fight winning streak... ...and I've got some of the names here of the fighters he's beaten. Piotr Jan, as we mentioned... ...Aldo... ...Marlon Marais... ...Cody Stammen... ...John Dodson... ...Casey Kenny... ...Brad Katona... ...and on the regional scene, the fight that got him into the UFC ruffian starts
1: wow yeah he's he's insane <laughs> he's really good uh R- rob is awesome and he fought this like six foot he sparred this six foot tall chicken double <laughs> i remember that yeah. <laughs> that was kind of funny and everybody went this guy's living my dream and i hate it <laughs> <laughs> um uh i i I'm actually really excited for this. This fight this fight's very there's one element of this fight that is uh very interesting. I'll get to when we start kind of breaking things down.
0: Yes. Um so we'll talk about his opponent, Henry Cejudo. So he has a 16-3 record. His last fight was for the title, which was dare I say a disputed loss up against Algernon Sterling. Personally I thought Aljo did enough to win that one, but once again, mm-hmm. it seems to be the case with Aljo that there were people out there that thought Zahudo did enough to win that fight. I think it was a split
1: decision, if I remember correctly. Um uh, I remember it being kind of clear, Aljo when I didn't know that it was a disputed one. Oh, okay. I
0: think a lot of that though was like has never been all that popular, so I think there were people trying to make the argument that he lost that fight.
1: It's fair, yeah. There's a lot of Aljo wasn't a well liked guy, despite I mean, after how he acted when he won the belt against the first the first Piotr Young fight it really rubbed people the wrong way which I totally get because I was also in that camp but he won me back over yeah.
0: and this is going to be Cejudo's second fight since he made his UFC return he took a three-year hiatus out after the fight against Dominic Cruz has Henry Cejudo's comeback been as impactful
1: as you expected it to be So there's... I'm trying to... I, I, I struggled to write this down. I even said I hope you can figure out how to describe this. Um, but the best way I can kind of think of it is... Um, it's funny. It's actually quite topical nowadays. But we're, we're both pro, pro wrestling fans. You know how the idea of bringing in a legend to come back. To take on the current guy. And one, the idea is it'll get eyes on you. And in a predetermined sport, if you have the... The guy who's the legend lose, it's supposed to give that rub and make the current guy look even better. I think that was kind of – I think it was kind of a win-win when Cejudo came back because obviously we're not a predetermined sport. If Cejudo wins, Cejudo is a star. He made himself a star, I think, uh, and he was going to beat a, a not-very-liked champion. Uh, but if you – if when he lost, I thought it made Sterling look that much better and it made bantamweight look that much better. That your champion could be take on uh, a guy who, legitimately, I think, if he would have beat Sterling, was top three goat material for my in my mind. Like, um, I think he was right on that cusp of be- entering that like GSP, Fedor, Aldo kind of no, Aldo Aldo kind of territory for me.
0: I have Time for
1: Aldo, but I wouldn't put him that high. Now he, he's. I think he's arguably the best phantom weight ever but not like go not like greatest ever like aldo i think has that i think he's kind of earned it in my mind going through his like catalog recently and i've always been a big aldo fan so very much biased but like gsp the clear number one guy greatest of all time um was there
0: anything that surprised you about Sehudo in that sterling fight
1: i was surprised sterling was able to take him down that easy it wasn't easy like, per se. He had to really work for it. But, but I expected both guys to kind of cancel each other out, not Sterling to have the advantage of the wrestling. That, that that really surprised me. But Cejudo was doing very well in in tight, landing good shots when they were clinched up, and really making... They, they were both really going at it in the clinch. And I think it was probably a strength thing, because Aljo is very strong. But... I think I think Cejudo did really well in that fight. I don't think he got dominated, but I think I thought it was clear, in my opinion, that he lost. Um, But I I, that's what I I think with Marab being closer to his size because Aljo is a monster at one thirty five. Aljo Aljo was huge at one thirty five. I don't know. It's because maybe it's because he fought, you know, before Sean O'Malley. He fought. Three short guys in a row: TJ, Corey—not TJ, uh, not Corey, TJ, Sahuto, and Piotr Jan, who were all around the same height. But he seemed like, like a 55er there against them. Um, I I think, I don't think Sahuto looked bad though, and, and I don't think he even looked that rusty. I thought he looked very well prepared, and came in looking still very impressive against Sterling. So uh, the big thing that surprised me, though, was him getting taken down at all, admittingly.
0: Yeah, that was the part that surprised me as well. And I actually watched parts of that fight, and I was surprised to see a lot more striking exchanges than I remember. Mm-hmm. I just remember it being like a purely a grappling match, but there were times when they were standing, and I thought Zahuda looked good um, yeah. in the stand-up. Um He's kind of strange to me, Henry Sahudo. He reminds me a little bit of Patricio Pitbull, who's another short, stocky guy, But just just seems to make himself feel longer and taller than he actually is.
1: They're in the same camp. That's why. They're training partners. Um, And uh, I think... I forgot who... It probably was Slacky, but they did a breakdown of their striking styles, and they're basically like the same guy. That kind of karate kind of guard and uh they are like the he is like patricio pitbull a lot actually that's a very good comparison
0: that surprises me because um slacky watching bellator and praising bellator
1: i i know it's weird i i think i think he uh he might i think he secretly likes it you know i think he just hates the commentary which i don't blame (laughs) him that's the worst commentary i love mike goldberg that is the worst commentary i've ever seen (laughs) Uh but and I and I've listened to Snoop Dogg do commentary. Right? <laughs> that was horrible. Him and Uriah Favor was horrible. I love Snoop Dogg, but that was terrible. I um, still think
0: I still think the standout for me when it comes to a bad commentary was um all doing uh Yama Pit fighting.
1: It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Uh How can you be the or, uh, what was uh I forgot the how name How can you the be name? the man
0: when you're the man Dan?
1: Yeah. That's uh I forget the name of that guy. He used to be on like the Howard's turn stuff. Um then he was also he was also in Red Belt too. It's a good movie. Really good MMA movie. Yep.
0: Yeah. A lot of people are sort of expecting this to be another grappling based match because Mirab's always been known for his sort of like cardio wrestling, just taking people down all the time. But is he gonna to wanna to take that chance up against Henry Cejudo, who of course he's mentioned it many times, Olympic gold medalist? Um, or could we see two wrestlers neutralizing each other, and it's turning into a kickboxing match? Because I, think I actually more... think Henry Cejudo, if he chooses to go that way, go against the grain. I think Henry Cejudo could be Muradovally fully in a just a straight up striking match.
1: I think he is a. I, I think so too. I think I think Cejudo is a shockingly good striker. Um, case in point, the most dangerous how he won bantamweight title gold the first time. He fought the most dangerous striker in the division, but no, no, not no one even close. In Marlon Moraes, and beat him in his own game, just by out pressuring him and constantly making him work in a S tier fight. What an unbelievable fight! Um, I think, I, I think Marab is going to try and work the wrestling. I think he's going to try and work the pressure. The thing with that is Suhudo is a very – he likes to, you know, with a karate stance and just walk forward and methodically kind of break you down. I wonder – he and he has a very – Suhudo does have good counters. I, I feel like Marab is going to have to eat some shots to mm. make it the dogfight. And another thing too is – Marab is going to want to close the di- I want to I'm curious how he tries to close the distance. Is he going to try and shoot from very far out with very little success rate chance or is he going to try and get in close like he was against Pyotr Jan and shoot when they're pretty close because and I'm not joking here. I know it's going to sound like I'm memeing, but I think it's a very big possibility that if you if you cha- try and change levels on Sahuto when you're in close You run the risk of him just – because he does it in every fight – of him ducking his cranium. (laughs) And it's like – you know like the Acme cartoons when a character (laughs) runs into an anvil? Like that's got to be what it feels like because Henry Cejudo is the biggest cheater to never get a foul called on him and and I love it. Like I'm okay with it because, hey, the the ref should call it, but they don't know how to call it. It's awkward. Uh, He just headbutts everybody. It's not his fault that he ducks his head. In his mind, you know, he'll probably be like, it's not my fault if I duck my head and they run into it. Mm, fair, but still. Um, I-, I think Marab could definitely get, I think he has a very good chance of getting blasted by that 90-pound bowling ball on his and shoulders. <laughs> I think he's just going to get cl- I think he has a very good chance of getting hit by this sneaky and 100% legitimate technique by Cejudo. Um, I think he is more. T- I think Cejudo is more technical everywhere. On this fight, if this fight was five rounds, I would probably lean towards Murat. But it's three rounds, and I, I, I have a hard time picking against Cejudo here.
0: I just can't see Murat breaking Cejudo. I know yeah. that Henry's thirty-six years old, but part of the reason why the Piotyn fight turned out as dominant as it was for Murat. Was because I think by the third and fourth round, Jan just realized I've got nothing for this guy, and just yeah. the takedowns got easier and easier. Um, I do have some concerns about not so much Mirab's takedowns because we obviously know he's great at them, mm-hmm. but he doesn't hold people down. This is—he isn't like a smash factory fighter who just you take you down, wraps you up, and just lays on top of you for the remaining four and a half minutes. Mm. Like, I've seen a lot of people get out of Yarn's grappling, get back to their feet, and Jan just thinks, oh, and Murad just thinks, I'll okay. do it again. Yeah, I'm just going to do it again. John Dodson. How many times yes. did John Dodson get up and get taken down in that fight?
1: It's kind of wild, all those scrambles, actually. Yeah. That's it. That, was a, that was a good fight watching for this. And we know, we, we would expect an Olympic gold medalist in
0: Henry Cejudo, he's going to easily go to get bit... I'm losing my train of thought here. He <laughs> is going to easily be able to get back to his fate.
1: mm mm-hmm. You know, he understands his three eyes. intensity, you
0: know. integrity, and intelligence.
1: hmm He understands it. Um, he should walk out to Kurt Angle's theme song, not Colby. Get out of here, actually. It should be Cejudo. Yeah. Honestly. But I, I think... Suhudo had like we haven't really seen his scrambling ability so much in the UFC because he hasn't really been put on his back that often, but he did against Aljo. He was he was moving. He was moving and grooving, trying to get up, and Aljo's better at keeping guys down than I think Marab is. So, I think that's a fantastic point. I I like Marab outside of that disgusting heinous fight, um, but I like Marab and. I, I just think Suhudo takes this one. I think Styles make matches, and Mirab should be fighting for the title. And sadly, because he isn't, Suhudo is probably getting the next shot.
0: One more thing before we move on to our next fight. Obviously, Mirab and Aljor are like that. Very close teammates. Mm-hmm. How much impact do you think that will make on Marab's performance? Will he be getting info from Aljo to say, hey, this is where I had success against Henry, this is where I think you might need to avoid these kind of situations?
1: I think that'll definitely help out. He's not going in blind, for sure. Yeah. Against him, against Cejudo.
0: Because Marab isn't the back taker in the same way that Aljo is.
1: Yeah. Aljo is a better grappler on the map than Marab is. Marab might be a slightly better wrestler, at least a much more aggressive one, so it could appear that way. Um, I think this is going to be interesting. This fight, this is my fight of the night pick, at least. Uh, I think, for me, this fight just seems, maybe not fight of the night in terms of pure action, um, but this is my pick for fight of the night based on like how interesting this matchup is. This is my one to to keep an eye on, when I'm most hyped for, personally.
0: Fight number 3 and we go to the welterweight division. It is the number 8 seed, Jeff the Hands of Steel Neal, who is taking on Ian Machado Gary, who is at number 10. Betting odds for this one, Ian Gary is the biggest favourite on the main card, a minus 245 favourite. You can get Jeff Neal in at plus 200. Now originally, Ian Gary was supposed to be fighting Vicente Luque and that was going to be taking place at USC 296. Unfortunately, that fight fell through the week of the fight. Uh, so this fight has been booked instead. Do you mean the UFC have made the right call choosing to book Jeff Neal versus Gary rather than reschedule
1: the Luke bout? Uh, this is a rebooking, isn't it?
0: Uh, no, because uh, it was going um, to be Gary versus Luke. Here.
1: But I thought before that, didn't Neil Magny step in to replace Jeff Neal? Yes, he did, actually. I apologize. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I remember that now. I just, I, I forgot about that. If it wasn't for that stupid t shirt of Jeff Neal's mugshot, which is horrendous, what a D bag Ian Gary is. Um, but You sort of bring it on to
0: my next question, actually. Yeah. At this moment in time, is Ian Gary the most hated man in mixed martial arts?
1: He's the most made fun of, for sure. Um, I don't think a, a day goes by without me and my best friend making. Directly making fun of Ian Gary, which spoiler alert will never be a Patreon exclusive because I like (laughs) having presence on the internet. Like, I, I would be shunned um, for how horrible me and him are. But (laughs) (laughs) um, he's got to be. He's at least the most made fun of. And man, he. I'm trying to think of how to describe it because I feel like a good heel. In MMA is someone you just you like to hate Ian Gary comes across as so cringy and trying so hard that we just don't like to hate him We just hate him, you know, so I think that's kind of the vibe with him
0: I think a good MMA heel has to have an element of self-awareness as well mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's I feel is lacking from Gabby.
1: like Chael Chail's still the greatest yes. ever Chail's Connor... amazing Connor was a great heel too, admittingly. I don't like Connor, but Connor was a good heel. I don't think Colby was. I the don't problem... think Ian Gary is. I think they're just too. They're they're not aware of what they are.
0: Yeah, and I think the problem as well is that um, Chill had a lot of charisma and yeah. he was funny with it. I think with Colby and, and and Ian Gary as well, it's not natural to them. It feels yeah. like they're coming across with these sort of like pre-calculated lines that they need to get out says "Ooh, burn look at this great line i thought of yeah. in my
1: hotel room last night i spent five hours working on this uh, uh audition or uh, rehearsing this like it it doesn't it doesn't feel natural with ian gary yeah uh, you know what who's another good heel is sean o'malley because he's very unlikable uh just because he's just naturally a douchebag, and it works for him hey you know I think yeah. that kind of works for him. But, yeah, Ian Gary's probably got to be up there.
0: Yeah, And speaking of Ian Gary, though, for all of the sort of healdom that he's sort of bringing to the fore, um, he is justifying it in the cage. 13-0 record, dominated Neil Magny in his most recent fight. And along with the Magny win, he also has victories over Daniel Rodriguez, Son Kanan, and Gabe Green. So we are starting to see bigger jumps in quality in Ian Gary's opposition. And in that regard, I think Jeff Neal is a a logical next step because I kind of feel like Jeff Neal has sort of taken over from Magney mm-hmm. as the sort of elite gatekeeper. Like, Magny's the gatekeeper for guys wanting to try and get into the top 15. Neal's the guy you need to go through to get into the top five.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he's definitely called his shot here. He's been, been going at this one, taunting this one. Uh... Like, he's definitely, you know, trying to make this a blood feud with Jeff Neal, which may or may not be the right call.
0: Yeah, but what are you leaning towards uh, with that? Are you trying to uh, imply that <laughs> Jeff Neal could be uh, that sort of banana peel for him?
1: I I think Ian Gary needs to be on his technical best here, because he might have... I think he picked the wrong guy to taunt, or he. it's kind of an Aldo-Connor situation, which... By the way, that fight doesn't exist, but I remember someone someone telling me that they remember that fight going like Aldo comes out with a haymaker and eats a counter because he was so upset. don't remember any of that fight. Um, But that could be a similar thought process here because Neil – Jeff Neil is – has a monster of power. His Vicente Luque win, like – it's it's hard to talk about, admittingly, because of how dangerous that KO was, and that is the guy he chose to make fun of. Had his whole family dressed up to make fun of him. I'm sure it was his wife's idea. <sighs> but <laughs> that's mean. That's actually mean. Um, but I feel actually I feel I actually feel guilty. Uh, <laughs> but uh, they made fun. Like I think that's <clears throat> they're either trying to make him angry so he just starts headhunting because Jeff Neal already has a problem with headhunting a lot his fight with Wonderboy Wonderboy is a very elusive guy and to deal with elusive guys you want to attack their legs or hit them in the body whenever they circle into a direction and Jeff Neal just headhunted and got dominated for five rounds because of it um but that said, you you, you have to – Ian Gary has been hit. He's not untouchable, and this is not a guy you want touching you at all, especially if you make him mad like that um, because we don't – like Vicente Luque has a, is going to have a question mark over his head the rest of his career because of the loss he took to Jeff Neal, and it's not fun – having that aspect of the sport kind of come into play. And I could see Jeff Neal hitting that hard consistently.
0: Yeah. I'm in two uh, minds in regards to how I feel this fight's going to go because um, the Wonderboy loss for Jeff Neal was not a good loss. Like, Wonderboy dominated that fight. And I see a lot of similarities between Wonderboy and Ian Garry in that they're quite lanky counter-strikers. And I can possibly see a situation where... Ian Gary is just eating up the legs and Jeff Neal, because he's so boxing orientated, doesn't try and change, doesn't try and adjust his game plan and just continues to eat leg kicks and get counted for the uh, three rounds of the fight. Yeah. yeah. At the same time, though, I always have an issue with lanky fighters because of tall man defense. Because <laughs> there's often this tendency that the way they try and counter and so like evade strikes is to just lean back. A fighter who did that a lot in their fight was Shafkart Rachmanov. And Jeff Neal cracked Shafkart a lot of times. He gave Shafkart, in my opinion, the most competitive fight of his career.
1: The future champion, we should I, I, I think, personally. I'm willing to die on that hill. Uh, future champion Shafkart, he gave a ton of trouble to. So, that is... So
0: it does make me think, you know, if he can have that success against a guy who... Like, Card, in my opinion, is a far better fighter than Ian Garry is. Yeah, and if absolutely. Jeff Neal can cause him problems, in theory, he could do the same thing to Ian Garry. And we mm-hmm. saw Ian Garry get cracked. Son Kanan dropped him in the first round.
1: Yeah. In his debut, he was getting pieced up. Getting absolutely battered in his, in his debut. Um, until he got the one-shot KO. Uh, and I think... I, I, I think this train's coming to a crash, admittingly. That could be bias. Once again, I, I'm willing to admit that uh, because, you know, we we're, we're, me, you and me are professionals. We don't like to, like, take our feelings into yeah. account for predictions. That said, I always feel like me personally, I think you're a lot better at that than I am. Uh, I think sometimes I am influenced subconsciously in my picks, um, and I'm willing to admit there could be that here. Um, Because Jeff Ian Gary is the much more technical guy, Jeff Neal is the more frightening guy, and so it could be the bias because me and him share a last name. Very funny, (laughs) very funny. I mean, there was a guy recently. I saw that. Yeah, he said he goes, "Does you have a brother named Jeff?" And I, you had a very funny quote of. It would uh, raise a a lot of questions if he did. Well, my twenty-three and me is coming coming in soon, so I might maybe, you never know. Um, but uh, Ian Gary is a much more technical guy. Jeff Neal is much more dangerous, much more likable. Ian um, Carey is not likable. So, I don't know. I, I, I'm i picking towards Jeff Neal uh, ending this train in violent fashion. I, I think tall guy defense is a nightmare. And Jeff Neal has fought a lot of guys who use tall guy's defense. So, he's definitely used to it. I, um, I think we're close to... I think we're starting
0: to reach the summit of Ian Gary's ceiling. Yeah. But I, I think don't so think that Jeff Neal is going to be the guy to sort of mm. derail that. But I, I, think it, I think Ian Gary, I can see Ian Gary maybe making sort of like top five, top six. And that's where I'm thinking, how much further can he go? Because then he's going to be facing like the full on elite of this weight class. And this is a very, very good division. Um, yeah. One interesting note I've spotted from reading into this fight is Ian Gary, of course, was with Killcliffe. Unfortunately, they decided to part ways after that. He wanted, to, out. He wanted to try and work with Renegade. Leon Edwards, of course, is a champion, didn't want to do that. So he's been training with Shooterbox for this fight. Could we see a more Shooterbox style from Ian Gary going into
1: this fight? It's going to be aggressive. <clears throat> you know, it's going to be a re- uh, if, it depends on how aggressive he comes out then, because uh, when I always think shooter box, like a modern day shooter box, I think of uh, Charlie Olives, honestly, because um, I mean, like, there's the obviously old school, the you know, the Vanderlays, the Shoguns, the Ninjas, like that, and Anderson, that legendary run, um, was Barao the, like, shooter box, no,
0: Burrell was Nova União, uh,
1: yeah, Nova União, which I think Nova União. Came from a Brazilian top team, which I th- I think I could be wrong because nobody new Yuniao came from one of those two big schools. I forgot which one though. Great rivalry in that pride, but um, I think uh, if he comes out aggressive, because like Charlie Olives is very aggressive, we and, and we love him for it. Um, and Charlie Charles Oliveira, he's he's kind of the current day shoot to box representative, so that'd be interesting. You know, admittingly, seeing him come out, looking for left uh, left hooks off counters, off right-hand counters. Uh, this is a Southpaw Orthodox matchup, though, which is also interesting for a lot of reasons I've said on thousands of, probably potentially every Someone is
0: going to land that knee coming in at some point.
1: It, I, I always call it. I always go, like, it, it's just a big fear of mine. I've seen too many Joaquin Hansen fights, and that guy used to put everyone to sleep when they double like him we actually saw it larone murphy did it he did yes larone murphy did it last year when i was on the preview show so right here this guy
0: so that's one out of sort of 15 20 preview shows you've done
1: so what's the next fight looking like
0: So, we are going to the middleweight division here, and it is the number three seed, Robert Whittaker, who is taking on the number six seed, Paolo Costa. It is Robert Whittaker taking on the short notice, Brendan Allen. It is Robert Whittaker taking on the short notice, uh, Paul Baraglio. I'm just covering all of my bases here because it's Paolo Costa. He I was thought guy- I was going
1: crazy, and I was like, am I, am I like hearing the audio replay? And then you said, Brendan Allen, I was like, what, did I mess up? That is hilarious. Oh my god, you have to though. It is Paulo Costa.
0: So I'm just covering my bases, so if Costa does pull out between the time we record this and the time it goes online, we'll just splice in whichever one was correct.
1: That is amazing. Like, spoiler alert, Rob beat Jared Cannoneer again. Like, oh my god, that is so funny. <laughs> wow. That I'd never thought about that. I'm surprised this fight is still happening. So we are going. We are going
0: to preview this fight with the belief that Paulo Costa will be stepping into the cage next week. And if he does so, he's got a very important match in regards to this weight class. Maybe not so much for Costa himself, but Robert Whitaker, because a lot of people believed it was a foregone conclusion. Robert Whitaker was going to be getting that third fight up against Israel Adesanya. And then of course Trickers Duplessis ended up uh, shocking a ton of people on his way to claiming the belt for himself.
1: That's the most wrong I've ever been on this show. I said, "It just you might as well just call." I think I said something similar along the lines of, "Like I don't see any chance Trickers Duplessis has in this fight." And I was watching that fight win, and I went, "Oh no, I'm fired." Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's probably the second most wrong I've ever been for a fight, in, not just a preview show, just in life.
0: At least you uh, didn't have to do an on-air showy because of Juliana Pena. Oh
1: yeah, the most wrong I've ever been still is Ben Askren by a unanimous decision against, in a domination unanimous decision against Mosfidel, and then not that doesn't happen. I don't. I don't just pick the, you know, the wrong guy. I pick the wrong guy instead of it being the entire fight domination, it's the fastest KO ever. I don't think I can be any more wrong scientifically than that. <laughs> in all fairness, Askin
0: was, Askin was winning those first four seconds of the fight.
1: Yeah, he, he was dominating until that <laughs> until that knee landed. That's pretty good. Octagon control. I oh, yeah, he was the one pushing the pace. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that now.
0: <laughs> uh, one thing I will ask though, in regards to Robert Whitaker, is there was a lot of people that sort of frame that as sort of like the start of Whitaker's decline. You know how hyperbolic yeah. the MMA fan base can be. But bearing in mind what DDP has done since that fight, has that loss sort of eased a little bit? Has it aged
1: quite well? I think it has. Um, it's just, I feel like losing to a guy like that is just embarrassing in general. I'm nothing against him. I think it's like, it's his style and like how he fights. You go, that guy's beating people. Like it kind of doesn't make sense. Um, that's why I think he's going to be kind of a hard sell to mainstream audiences, because like, of how his fighting style looks, personally. But that's a whole other topic for another day. Um, I think that fight has aged well, and this isn't the first time I've heard. This is the decline of Robert Whittaker, because I heard it after Adesanya beat him the first time.
0: Yeah, and... uh, so we'll we'll focus in detail here on Whittaker. So a 22-7 and record. Uh, his last fight was that loss against DDP. But his notable wins during his career include Marvin Vittori, Kelvin Gastelum, Jared Cannonier, Darren Till, two wins over Yurel Romero, and the fight that got him that run to the title, Jacare Souza, Derek Brunson, Uriah Hall.
1: He, that is, that is probably one of the most impressive laundry lists of, of, uh, of trophies on your belt, so to speak, he has. Um, it's no secret I'm a big Robert Whittaker fan. I personally think very, very highly of him in terms of his career. But that that resume, I think, speaks for itself of how great that is. Those two Yoriel Romero fights, in context, are even crazier. Just reading them are pretty nuts. But then in context of, oh, you broke your hand five minutes into the first round? Oh, you had one leg? <laughs> like, like That first fight
0: is... I think the first fight is... I'm sort of in the minority opinion. I think the first fight is better than the second one. Mm-hmm. And I think Whitaker had to face so much adversity bearing in mind how badly his leg was chewed up.
1: I think I think that first fight is a better story, but yeah the, in terms of action, the second fight's better. But I think when you because you know you and me, we come from a pro wrestling background. We, we count story as well as the action when it comes to a fight and yeah. we how we kind of score it. I think those fights are equal. And I think they're basically masterpieces of fights, like, of violence there. Yeah, because I, um, think, I think
0: storyline does play a role in judging, so, like, the quality of a fight, whether mm-hmm. consciously or subconsciously. But, like, if you have two fights which take place and they're exactly the same, but one of them is opening up an Apex prelim and one of them is a title fight at Madison Square Garden, Yeah, the latter
1: is always going to be seen as better than the, the former absolutely it's just kind of how it is it is it fair no but life isn't like it's just kind of how it is it's the same thing in like professional wrestling or a basketball game like one of the again basketball big basketball fan here um, one of the one of the games people say is like one of the best ever in recent memory was game seven Cleveland Cavaliers uh, against Golden State where the Cavs win by like a crazy shot in this crazy close series If that exact same match game happened, but it was like the middle of the season, early season, like for no one really cares, no one's gonna care as much, you know. I've seen fantastic games in regular season that no one talks about. It's just kind of how it is. I think, given you're the big Whitaker fan, I think you're
0: the right person to ask this question. Now, I've seen people make this comparison, and I understand why some people might see this as a derogatory insinuation. Personally, I don't feel that way. I think it's quite apt, and I think there's positives to it. Is Robert Whittaker a better Michael Bisping?
2: Hmm.
1: I I can understand why someone would find derision in that. I I don't necessarily do. I think he is a better Bisping. I think he's not just a... I think he's... I I see it as a compliment. I want to stress that. Yeah, yeah. I, I can... I... Because you and me are Bisping fans, you know? He wasn't a great champion, but we're Bisping fans still. Um, yeah, I think he's a much better Bisping, for sure. I think... I'm going to sound crazy. Every time this guy comes up, I say something stupid. But uh, I personally think he's got to be in that top three middleweights of all time. In terms of his legacy, in like his, his in terms of his resume, and how he fights, I think is... In terms of entertainment factor, I think he kind of has that Robbie Lawler aspect to him, where every fight with this guy is either a one-sided, you know, pounding, ass kicking, or it's a masterpiece of violence. You know, I, I think I think that kind of plays into it as well for his legacy. Because um, I think that resume, I think him getting to the title is one of the hardest. At the time, you know Uriah Hall doesn't seem like a big name now, but he was like top six, top five, I think, at the time, and had just beaten Gegard with that crazy, you know, one in a million spinning back kick. Um, so I, I think, I think he's up there, but I, I kind of like that. Like, the is he a better Michael Bisping? I'm kind of, I'm kind of digging that because they they are quite similar in a sense.
0: Yeah, because like Bisping was another guy who was sort of like. Bit of a cardio kickboxer, good volume kicking game. But Whitaker does everything that Bisping did, but he kicks a little bit harder. His striking is a little bit better. His cardio is a little bit better.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, this is in t- in terms of how on paper this is on paper. In terms of how Whitaker could fight, because Whitaker trains with the uh, the Australian. Uh, Olympic team for wrestling and does very well with them and there's been times where like he's kind of courted the idea of professional grappling of like just going into grappling and apparently he's a very good wrestler and grappler that's what I always hear so I've I've heard people say that like he could fight like GSP if he wanted to but he just doesn't and I'm like it kind of reminds me a little bit more of young GSP and and that's it because young GSP was tossing head kicks he won the title off of head kicking Matt Hughes yeah so I kind of get the young GSP vibe from him essentially and the karate kickboxer that's balanced
0: and then poor server of course he became he sort of like played the percentages so he didn't take the risks and just became a lot more grappling heavy
1: it's funny too because that run after that is what makes him the goat even though those half those fights are awful yeah so we'll talk about Paulo Costa here
0: so, Paulo Costa, going into 2020, was on a fantastic winning streak. I think it was like a 13 and 0 record. And he was just steamrolling everyone to get his way to that title fight. He went toe to toe with Yarel Romero, showed no fear. Like, it is the ultimate sort of like, how the hell did you sardine not catch these two guys fight? It's a bomb burner, one of my personal favorites. Yeah. The Adesanya fight happens. It doesn't go well for him. And what's happened since then? Like, he's only fought twice since then. He's become more notorious for pulling out and being a bit of a troll on social media. Mm-hmm. Admittedly a funny one, Gourmet Chen Chen is funny. a quote which I still throw around.
1: <laughs> it... Secret Juice is a big, big one. Oh, here. I love
0: that. Yeah. And it was like it was like in the Space Jam as well with, like, Bugs Bunny with the secret stuff. And it was yeah. like the same kind of, like, just plain white bottle.
1: Yeah, It's it's just... It's just like juice or lemonade or something like that. Like, no, it's my secret juice. You saw it. I can't know what's in it. Like, it's, it very much reminds me of uh, the Space Jam thing too.
0: Is this a uh, guy whose heart is still
1: in the sport? I have no idea. If it wasn't for that Rockhold fight, I would have been like – because the Rockhold fights is where it gets weird. Because in the Rockhold fight, the story was going into it is – oh, this is a horrible matchup for Rockhold's last ride. Like, because Paulo Costa, on paper, despite the fact that he struggled to KO higher levels of competition, um, he was billed as, like, the one-shot powerhouse. And against Rockhold, who is always billed as, oh, don't breathe too hard on his chin, or he'll get knocked out. Um, It's kind of... Like, that fight ended up being, like, the story afterwards. Like, man, Luke Rockhold's tough. Like, he didn't get KO'd somehow. And he got beat, sure. But, like, that fight is the Luke Rockhold show in a sense. Like, he's the one telling the story in that fight. Like, it has one of my all-time favorite moments, two of my all-time favorite moments in fights, of Rockhold is getting battered. And at one point, he's like, looks like he's about to get finished. And he just yells, F off! And then, like, <laughs> throws a haymaker. And it hits Costa and rocks him. And then there's that point where he gets top position, Rockhold. And Rockhold's bleeding like a pig. And just, he basically does the that thing from Fight Club. Where Ed Norton's like, you don't know where I've been. And, like, gets all, it's so gross. It's awesome. Like, grade A violence there. Um, but, like. Luke Rockhold was the guy we all started praising, despite losing after that fight, and I, I, I feel like that kind of makes it seem like, yeah. yeah, his his heart ain't in it. I, I mean, this is a guy, <laughs> this is a guy who is gonna fight Marvin Vittori. <laughs> oh, the story! Like he, he goes, hey, I can't make weight. Okay, 195 work. Yeah, I'll do 195. And then he goes, no, 195 is not gonna work. I'm gonna do 205. <sighs> And then, like, two days before, they're like, what are you weighing at? Oh, I'm at 215 right now. And Marvin Vittori's like, what the f- what? <laughs> Like, we made a deal. We- like, we said we would agree to this weight. We changed it, then you changed it again. And you still can't even make that weight. Well, that's your problem.
0: <laughs> like, what is wrong with him? And um, the thing- the thing is, the fight as well, when it actually
1: plays out, it's actually a lot of fun. It's very fun. Because it's Vittori just eating every shot with no <laughs> with no defense and just still somehow putting on the pressure and breaking Costa down, it's hilarious. Um, I love this stat with Paulo Costa. We'll, we'll we'll go into the sort of X's and O's regarding his
0: style uh, just after this, but I do love the stat that Paulo Costa has only been to three division three decisions in his career. Joel Mer- Romero, notoriously Marvin Vittori, notoriously granachinned, and Luke Rockhold.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's what kind of blows my mind. is. If, when was his last KO? Was it Uriah Hall? Um, I think it would have been, yes. So I, I think it's just a higher competition thing. I think he struggles to put it on guys at higher competition. I mean, your Romero does have a crazy chin, and those guys were definitely putting it on each other. So that one feels a little weird. But, like, he struggled so hard against Adesanya because he couldn't cut the cage off. Hmm. He couldn't cut off his movement. And, like, so he couldn't find the opportunity to land that power. Uh, and Rockhold ate a bunch of shots, and he just, I don't know what happened there. I uh, that That fight... That fight felt like someone uh, went into like the command prompts in a computer game and put on god mode <laughs> for rock code or something because it made no sense. Uh, I still can't, I still have that image in my head of, fuck off, bounce. <laughs> it's, it's, it's priceless. I think, in my opinion,
0: part of the reason people paint Costa as this big power puncher is because of the physique. Because yeah. you see muscle upon muscle, they just think he's just a one-shot knockout artist. I think that like the thing is, Costa's only ever been to a decision three times, as I mentioned before. So mm-hmm. he is able to put guys away. But the way he does it is volume striking. He is Absolutely. very good, in my opinion, at using his forward pressure, getting people up to up to the fence, and then teeing off on them. And that's yeah. how he got a lot of his success. That's how he finished Johnny Hendricks. That's how he finished Uriah Hall. Just forward pressure, you buy by the fence, and then I'm teeing off on you.
1: That left hook against Uriah Hall is picture perfect, but he did it off of combinations. Yes. He was attacking the body as well. Yeah. A, a very powerful kicker as well. I think
0: he uses these kicks as well to set up his combinations.
1: There's that one kick where he kicks Yorah Romero's face and his face just... Like, it's, it makes no sense. He wraps his shin around head, Romero's head. Yep. So I think we
0: could see a situation here where... The fight could well come down to Robert Whitaker's movement. Mm-hmm. If he is able to avoid those sort of big Costa flurries and not give Costa the opportunity to sort of like corner him, I think it could be... I wouldn't say a one-sided fight, but I can see Robert Whitaker just sort of like... Maybe sort of like cruising to that sort of 30-27. Costa's always going to be dangerous because that's the kind of guy that he is. But I think that if Whitaker can survive those sort of like early onslaughts from Costa then I think he could run away with it.
1: I think costa has got a pretty good chin on him, admittingly. Yeah. Uh, I think a, a similar fight uh, that we've seen that you could kind of be like, oh, I can kind of see the comparison is uh, Jared Cannoneer and Bobby Knuckles. Yes. And I think that fight's going to be kind of similar to that. I, I think that fight and this fight are almost not like a one-to-one, but I could see it being quite similar, admittingly. Yeah.
0: I don't see Whittaker being able to finish Costa, though. No. Because Whittaker's never been that kind of one-shot artist himself.
1: No, he he hurts you with a head kick, then goes to Swarm. But he himself hasn't had a finish in a while. He got close against Gastelum, Cannoneer. He's gotten close, basically, in all his last couple wins. I think Joker uh, but... was his
0: last finish, and that was 2017.
1: Yeah, so he... Oof has, like, kind of struggled to put away the higher level guys. Yeah. So, definitely not a knock. It's hard to finish somebody in a fight. It's, you know, that's why it's impressive when there is a big finisher
0: like yeah. that. And we're talking about this shuffle that the UFC are trying to enforce with the middleweight division. What do you think happens with the winner of this fight? If if we assume that Izzy DDP is going to be next, does the winner of this fight the winner of that? Did he fight Strickland? Uh, Did he fight, like, The Brendan Allen-Marvin-Vittori winner, especially if Brendan wins, what's going to happen?
1: I think it's going to be either Brendan Allen or Sean Strickland is the winner of this one. Because Sean Strickland, Paulo Costa, can you imagine that press conference? (laughs) Like, I I think for Paulo Costa and Sean Strickland, remember when they did that really corny world tour with, like, Connor and Aldo? I think you could do something like that. Like, I would watch that just to see Sean Strickland yelling about something offensive and Paulo Costa showing up in various turtleneck sweaters and glasses, like showing off secret juice flavors. Uh, That sounds like a blast to me. Uh, That said, I am picking, I think we're both picking Rob. I am. Yes. Yeah. I think that's a, I don't want to jinx myself again, but I am picking Rob. Ah, I don't think there's anything
0: wrong with sort of making uh, predictions. I mean, it's, it's, part and parcel of the show, and if we do get it wrong, then, you know, it helps, like, people can just say, ha you didn't get that one right, yeah, but it's, like, that's what happens, that's what happens on the show, it's, like...
1: <laughs> I'm mostly just afraid of uh, of what happened the last time I picked Bobby Knuckles to win, that, is still, that still haunts me, like, Duplessis, C haunts me to this day. Yeah,
0: I usually make a point that if I have saw, sort of, like, <laughs> a strong affinity to a fighter, I usually either don't give a prediction, or I sort of instinctively go against their opponent like I didn't I didn't yeah. want to jinx Rocky and that's part of the reason why mm. I chose Miva. but we, we both if you go back and watch the show
1: we both said how the fight would play out yeah it was to a T and I was like we've done that multiple times I feel good like we definitely know what we're talking about well I, I, want, I think it's my first ever full card I covered with you uh, your boy Paul Craig fought Johnny Walker and you picked Johnny Walker and I was like wow he, picked, he didn't pick his boy it's interesting and that makes sense now that you say that. You have, I've noticed that in the past that you uh, you don't pick your boys and lasses. No. Um, main event time, though,
0: and we are going to the featherweight division. This one, I think it's it. I think it's safe to say, if you were to look at all of the title fights that the UFC have booked, this is the one, in my opinion, which is the most intriguing. Alex Volkanovski is going to be taking on Ilya Tepueva, and the bookmakers they feel the same way. It is an absolute pick 'em. Both of them. Minus 110. So the bookmakers can't decide who they're favouring between the two. Um, So, I'm going to start by asking this question. This is the first time that Alex Volkanovski has competed since the second Islam Markachev fight. Did the UFC make the right call booking that fight instead of what they should have done and drafted in Gamrot as the replacement?
1: They made such a horrible decision. I don't understand the logic there because on my mind they had they had fought in what i think was probably the unanimous fight of the year last year right am i correct in saying that maybe i think it's up there i think it's up there i i think most people I, th- I feel like at least a majority maybe not unanimous that's a you know, an exaggeration but i i think that was a p- very popular pick at, for sure um they had that fight uh, the pay-per-view did great numbers and it was a close fight. So you know people are going to go, oh, I want to see a rematch. Yeah. And then they do it last second for a short-term game that ended in a G- Volkanovsky who openly said, yeah, I was drinking and partying. I probably shouldn't have taken that fight. And he gets finished, and it kind of kills potential hype for a third fight.
0: I'm in the same board. I, I feel the same way. I think you could have very easily built... Like let's say Volkanovski has another one or two defenses after Yair, and then you do the mm-hmm. rematch. And I think you're building up so much fanfare that saw like first fight was an absolute classic. Uh, Volkanovski would have learned a lot of the mistakes from the first match. It just it was very short-sighted from the UFC, and I feel like the UFC are doing that a lot more recently. They're going for what matters now rather than thinking of the implications.
1: Yeah, it's. It's stupid. Like, this was a
0: company, if you uh, remember, like, I touched on this online, like, a couple of days ago, but, like, this is the company who stacked International Fight Week with loads of Australian talent and then did a show in Australia two months later so none of those guys could compete.
1: It was stupid. They Once again, you and me should run it. We could run that company. We could do better than them, yeah. right? What's Scott Coker doing these days? Yeah. Where's Bjorn Rep <laughs> Probably
0: trying to start a fighter union.
1: Yeah, probably. You know, good for him though. Yes, yes. Um But I, we could have had. This is why I was trying not to laugh earlier. You, you said build up for a rematch. I was like, yeah, that would have been amazing. And I was like, and instantly in my head, I could hear Limp Biscuit, like, "You think you're <laughs> special?" And I was like, we could have had that. Like, wow. Um.
0: There's only, one, there's only feel, one title fight that warrants you think you're special, and we all know which one that is.
1: It's coming, too. <laughs> it's happening. We willed it into existence. It's so awesome. Uh, I, I feel really bad, too, because like, I think that Islam fight, the second fight, kind of makes this fight harder to pick. Yes.
0: You know? like a lot of people because... remember that fight and are now starting to raise questions about Volkanovski. Like, and Volkanovski was a guy who a lot of fans had a lot of time for and did think was on the top of his game. Like, he dominated a very dangerous Jair Rodriguez. And now we have a lot of people picking against him, thinking 35 curse is going to happen. He's he's done for. The decline is beginning. And I don't think they would have done that if it wasn't for what happened in Ma- against Makachev.
1: Yeah, I agree. He actually did a skit this week. <laughs> uh, it's been making rounds on, uh, on Twitter and stuff like that online of him question like going like people are calling me old 35 and it's like him acting like an incredibly like old man. flat carpet the glasses yeah the glasses was killed that and whenever he's going like ain't none of you leaving without my pasta sauce y'all all too skinny like i was like that is definitely like uh my my uh, grandparents for sure were always like that uh he he was fantastic at that he's very funny. honestly
0: guy. he's doing a better job selling the fight than a multi-billion pound company in the ufc
1: Well, I don't care what anyone says. They're a, they're not a fight organization. They're a fight promotion, and they just forget that last part. Yeah. <sighs> Some things never change. You know that and war, Ron Perlman taught me: war never changes. Yeah. Um, this fight is so hard to call, though. I feel like a lot of us are joking around because we don't know what to say. I in my notes, I just go, "How? What? There's a thousand ways this could go down."
0: Yeah. So we'll talk about Volkanovski in a lot more detail because the Makachev fights, they do have a little bit of a blemish on his name, unfortunately, that's just the way the fight game works. But you take that Mm. away, Volkanovski has never lost a fight as a featherweight. And that winning run includes Yair Rodriguez, three wins over Max Holloway, the Korean Zombie, Brian Ortega, Jose Aldo, Chad Mendes.
1: He, If you add in, like, Frankie Edgar and Cub Swanson, he literally has, like, every guy people thought would ha- hold gold around their waist in, like, the last 10 years. Like, it's insane. Like, he is so close to being the number one. I, mean, I still think it's Aldo, but he is getting yeah. there. Hey, like... And, and I will point this out as well, because, like, this is something that's sort of, like,
0: kind of... We talked about UFC marketing, UFC promotion. This is one thing that Mm. I kind of have an issue with. Like, I have a lot of respect for Alex Volkanovski. And if you are somebody who thinks that Volkanovski is the best featherweight of all time, you're not wrong. I can can sincerely hear your argument. But I have an issue with the UFC framing it. Like, the word they use, which really bothers me, is consensus. The consensus greatest featherweight of all time. And I think... Of all the divisions in the UFC, featherweight's one of the most competitive that there is. Like, you can make a strong claim yeah. for Aldo. You can make a strong claim for Max, Max. and Bulk.
1: And it's... Like, it's those three. Yeah. Like, and it's it's almost pick them honestly, yeah. the top three.
0: So, I just have an issue with the UFC where they constantly try and sort of trash their own history to promote what's happening now.
1: It's very short-term. Yes like it's very they they only care about the short-term profit and it's uh it's very it's very angering to me that's one thing you and me have talked about is mma has like no care for its history which sucks because this is probably one of the most vibrant histories in sports i think it's part
0: of the reason we started doing the retro review to remind people of these classic events i mean
1: i mean it's always heartwarming when people go I've never seen this card before, and I want to watch this guy's fights that you highlighted. It's like, yes! Like, pe- like, people going, like, Martin Kamen was awesome. I'm actually going to go back and watch it. Sakurai! He's like, yeah! Oh.
2: <laughs>
1: He's one of the best ever. Uh, I do have a history, uh, a bad run of going, this guy's a hidden hammer. Then he loses <laughs> in that card. <laughs> it just happens all the time. It's like a curse I have. But, um, yeah. Uh, like,. Uh, for me Volkanovsky he's getting there but I think I think you make a great point when you say yeah all three are there though like they almost all share that title you know all like Holloway has two wins over Aldo Volkanovsky has wins over the other Aldo built the weight class Aldo has yeah Aldo is the weight class like you know it's it's kind of rough kind of crazy um Ooh, um and to and speaking of that here comes Taporia being one of the most unlikable fighters ever and going no i'm gonna beat all of them
0: yeah where, where do you personally stand on this because like i'm in a similar board to yourself like we were talking about this off air like we Mm-hmm. We were quite fond of Ilya Topuria, especially as a fighter we thought yeah he's this guy who's he's very exciting. We saw how we steamrolled through Josh Emmett. He is a worthy title challenger and I don't know if he's always been this way or if it's something that's been amplified because he's got the spotlight on him but he has really healed it up over these past three or four weeks.
1: Yeah he's a douche uh, <laughs> He's I don't I, he's really unlikable. Uh, really cocky, just talk. And I think one thing that hurts is he's talking about Volkanovski, who is one of MMA's good guys. Yes, you know that's very likable, very charismatic, and nice guy. You know, um, he managed to come go through the Ultimate Fighter and look like look even better than he did going in, which is a uh, very rare, admittingly, for fighters. Um, usually, always some com- someone comes out with a little something that people can give him crap for. And Polkanovsky came out almost more likable outside of, like, oh, he doesn't like what people don't like his cooking. Um, and he's going after him, and he's just like, oh, I'm gonna end this guy's career X, Y, and Z, talking, and you're 12-0, and 0, though. Like, 13-0, and 12-0? Like, it's kind of hard to say that, and it kind of, that arrogance and cockiness just rub fans the wrong way. He's become increasingly unlikable. Like, he's even changed his, like, bios on social media to current ufc champion and it's like dude this is classic counting your chickens Mm. before they hatch he has a he has a documentary he's working on on how he became the champion and he hasn't fought for the title yet like it's just mind-blowing level of looking ahead he's doing you know those
0: youtube clickbait videos like so like when trash talk goes wrong and they'll, yeah, they'll have like Joe Rogan in the corner with like a big shocked face. That's that's yeah. what I'm picturing a right big
1: now. Big arrow pointing to the baby, and then the plane <laughs> coming in. Right, uh, OOC oh, 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 thumbnail. <laughs> uh,
0: so, we'll talk about some of Ilya's sort of X's and O's here. Yeah. So notable wins during his run in the UFC: uh, Josh Emmett, Bryce Mitchell, Jai Herbert, which was up a weight class and lightweight. Uh, Ryan Hall, Damon Jackson, and Yusuf Salal. Uh, looking at these fights and having to do a little bit of research for them, uh, the big thing that stood out for me, Joe Rogan does not do his research on fighters. Because nope. I was watching the Ryan Hall fight especially. And Ryan, of course, very unorthodox fighter, likes to try and use uh, Granby rolls, tries to get people sort of like in scrambling exchanges. And every time he did that... Joe was saying, oh god, Ilya's in trouble here. Ryan Hall, he knows what he's doing. He's gonna catch him in a leg lock. And <laughs> Ilya was dominating that fight. And Joe didn't realize that until Ryan was
1: put out. Yeah. There's that there's a couple times where we were watching that fight live and he eats a shot, and Ryan Hall slowly then goes for the roll. And it's like, did he get KO'd? And then he goes for a it. leg. Like, it's like, oh, I guess not. It was really odd. And he did the same thing with Bryce Mitchell. It's like Joe doesn't realize yeah. that this guy is a really really good grappler. The Bryce Mitchell one is alarming because yes. you and me covered that fight and went the winner is the future of this division. And you know, because I am a big I was a big Deporia fan before this fight kind of got closer and closer and man, like that was such an we expected it to be a close competitive fight. Not at all. Taporia made Bryce Mitchell like look like he didn't even belong ranked. It was alarming. And then he kinda he did it almost similarly, just didn't get the finish on Josh Emmett. He beat up Josh Emmett. And just like Yeah, this kid's scary.
0: <sighs> what would you say are the big strengths that Taporia has? What's Is there one sort of X factor that um, you think that's why he's having so much
1: success? I think he found confidence in his hands, in his striking, because when he came into the UFC, he was a submission guy, so everyone kind of knew him for, and he still can tap you out. He tapped out Bryce Mitchell, who's a very, very good grappler, Um, but the story of his run in the UFC has been his power and his boxing combinations. Uh, His combination to put away J- Jai Herbert is picture perfect. I've seen it maybe 50 times this week and it just doesn't get any better. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I kind of, I feel like that. And he also, he's a fantastic wrestler. He's a very good wrestler for being like you. Typically you hear like a really good European wrestler. Um, most people kind of like, uh, you know, go, Oh, that's like an American and Russian thing or Cuban thing. And no, he's he's very very good uh, wrestler as well. He's able to really control where the fight takes place, very well. Like he was defending takedowns from Emmett, Bryce Mitchell, and stuffed ninety thousand leg leg lock <laughs> attempts from Ryan Hall, which is still one of the craziest fights. Uh, just weird, not like crazy entertainment, just a weird fight. Um, and like he just. When he puts that fist on you, you you just go out. Like it's kind of a scary level of power he has at 145, which doesn't usually have the biggest power like that. Like forever, uh, Jose Aldo was like considered like one of the biggest power shot guy in that division besides like Chad. I was Mendes. going to say
0: Chad Mendes. And Ch- Mendes and Chad Mendes. Mendes
1: is all time. Oh yeah, all time it's those two, and because those two are like two of the few guys that like starch guys, but. Aldo had a reputation for being one of the hardest hitters ever as well. Very rarely knocked guys out. Like when he kinda got to that level. And like so that's it's like a big deal when like Emmett and Chad Mendez are one shotting people into the next dimension, you know? Um and Tapuria kinda has a similar vibe to that. I don't think he's quite like them, but he's at least more technical than them, which is Very scary.
0: Yeah. Um, There are a couple of things that I've noticed from watching some of Tapuria's oldest fights. He does like to punch his way into the pocket, so that does leave Mm. him open to some extended exchanges, so it could be interesting to see how Volkanovsky deals with that, whether he could maybe find some success. Uh, Something that someone else also pointed out to me, um, there was a guy online that pointed this out, and I I realized it watching Baki's fights. I don't think his footwork is the best. I think he's quite slow in terms of... I wouldn't say he's a slow fighter, but just so, like, turning, like, left and right, maybe that sort of thing, especially when he goes to his left. Maybe not yeah. as quick as... Maybe what should be ideal. I think that's maybe a flaw in this game that you could try and work on. It's very
1: very kind of fencer, Yes. I remember someone calling him. Because it's very back and forth. Like, Like this, he's really good at, but moving, having to cut the cage... He seems a little slower, and we know the Volks movement has always been very good,
0: and making people mm-hmm. bite
1: on fans. Yeah, he tore up Max Holloway in the third fight doing that, and it's you know weird. Another weird how that fight went down, kind of one, but because you se- you I, seldom I, see Max get pieced up
0: like that. Max is usually the one doing yeah. that.
1: Yeah, like especially in the history, because the first fight was kind of a tactical wind for Volk, but using low kicks and getting and finding finding one hole and just making it work. The second fight is Max piecing him up and Volk powering through for a very close win. But the third fight was made no sense, you know, how that went. Um and one thing I know about Taporia and a flaw I, I, I noticed in his game and, and it could be because I watched that Jai Herbert fight three times, but I also saw other people trying for it and having a decent amount of success with it. Um, And I think it's something Volk's going to try and really employ is uh, Taporia because he kind of punches in, will like lean one way and then kind of slowly move another way. Or he'll just kind of head movement side to side. Jai Herbert went for a head kick, which caught him. But the other thing too is uh, Taporia also like will kind of like, if he's leaning, he leans low or he'll just kind of bob up and down to threat threaten the level change. And that kind of makes me go, oh, there's an uppercut opportunities there. And I feel like because they're a similar height and size, an uppercut is a weapon that Volkanovsky, being a shorter guy at 145, uh, can actually use and use well here. Um, I think he was able to do that against Chad Mendes because like, you know, they're similar yes. uh, height as well. So... Well, they're
0: basically think, the same fight, like aren't that. they? Like, honestly, the two of them were staring against one another, and this was when Volk still had, like, a bit of a hairline. Yeah. They looked exactly the same. It was two clones fighting one
1: another. I was afraid if they touched, like, space-time continuum shatters, it would it would have been, like, Time Cop, if you've seen that Jean-Claude Van Damme movie where he throws the villain into his younger self. <laughs> I was afraid of it. Um, and, uh... I, I definitely see the, the uppercut being there for Volkanovski in the movement because that the movement is... Uh, the footwork, of course, is the big thing I've noticed as well. And that that's where I think the edge is. Power is to pour, is to pour you. But you got to hit a guy like Volkanovski who is very hard to hit. I
0: think he's more hittable than people think. He has had issues with that. Like Chad Mendez dropped him. Max dropped him in the second fight. Obviously with Markachev. Even in the first fight, Markachev caught him coming in at time. So, uh, I think True. Volk is hittable.
1: Okay, that's actually for because I'm also thinking of the Ortega fight. Mm. Ortega, Ortega caught him at one yeah.
0: point. I think Brian Ortega is underrated in terms of his striking. I think he's obviously known as a grappling guy, given his background. But Brian Ortega has some mm. hands
1: for sure. And what sucks is uh, everyone always brings up the Max Holloway moment. Mm. Where Max Holloway's coaching him mid fight, but in fairness, that is prime Max Holloway when he was the probably like a pound for pound top two or three guy. And they forget Octagoo yeah. won the third round. Did he actually? In, in my opinion, that. he did.
0: I'm gonna have to rewatch that fight. That We had really it good. up as one of the nominees uh, when we did the Canada Cards. And it didn't he win. didn't win,
1: unfortunately. I was actually looking forward to it winning because, I mean, I love watching Max Holloway on the Retro Review series, but you know. Yeah.
0: You just want to see, uh You just want to see Chev and Joanna, don't you?
1: Oh, that is that card, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> oh I, I want to see Joanna. I want to see Joanna every day. But if
0: there's a strawweight fight, we might do Joanna as like a retro review topic, which could be a lot of fun. Or we'll get people hating us because it's women's MMA.
1: And then Vic, the comments are very funny <laughs> to me. We'll get
0: to those in a little bit later. Um, yeah. So, time to put your money where your mouth is, Joe. Which way are you leaning with this one?
1: Oh, man, oh, I'm gonna have to go with Volkanovski here. I think, I think he's the more refined fighter. I think experience is gonna play a factor. Uh, I think Teporia will be champion one day, just not now. Yeah, because um, he's still quite young. He's younger than me so yeah i don't think that curse of 35 is going to kick in yet For and
0: that's the point that that's one of the points i was going to make i was actually going to make two points to wrap this up um does mm-hmm. the 35 curse still carry weight given that 35 year old vikel pennington became champion last month
1: oh that is true that she is broke true. the curse she did or does um, it count
0: would it would have been a uh, women's mma Yeah, Luke Thomas is coming Uh, up with every single kind of stat to try and think, no, no, it doesn't actually count because this X and Y, he keeps changing it every month.
1: Well, because it used to be like, oh, all weight class. No, 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 just lower weight classes. But now, you know, I I don't know. I I think the Curse of 35 does exist, but I think it's similar to the Curse of walking out to Eminem for a fight, you know, where like... I don't think curses are a said and done thing. People can break their own curse. Like, cause Robbie Lawler walked out to Eminem going, I don't care about a curse. And then go out and knocked out like, uh, Robert Volkner or whatever, uh, who was with the head kick. And he was walking out to Eminem. Um, I don't think, I think that curse is real. Cause I think that's just a natural decline when you start leaving your prime as a fighter is around that era. Um, so Volkanovski probably has, like, another year or two left at the top at this level, um, realistically. That said, uh, I don't think it's now.
0: And the other thing I was going to point out as well, I was doing a bit of reading into Ilya Tapuvia's sort of, like, history. His MMA debut, mm-hmm. his pro debut, came in a promotion called WCW. <laughs> <laughs> Waka wa- Hey, hey. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember what the initials were for, but I found that quite funny that it was WCW.
1: Was it in two thousand? No, like he was part of the he was part of the New Blood angle on the table. Uh, you know what? He was a cruiserweight. He would have been a part of three count.
0: <laughs> Best friends with Ch- Tank Abbott.
1: Yeah, Tank Abbott got him into the sport, dude. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's actually um,
0: hilarious. <laughs> So that is our preview there for the UFC 290 preview show. It's been a lot of fun as ever, Joe, mm-hmm. to be doing this show. A little bit later recording than normal. I've had to sacrifice a few things to get this done, but I think it's been
1: thoroughly worth it. Yeah, I, that, that is on me. I will openly admit uh, it was my first, was my D&D group's first session uh, with their current, with their new characters last night. And uh, I think I had an adrenaline dump as soon as I got done. And I, I, remember, I remember coming to my room, messaging you. I don't remember anything until the sun was up. Because yeah. it's usually like 5, 4 a.m. whenever I shoot this with you. But, you know, now it's coming up on noon and I went, uh-oh. And I woke up in yeah.
0: panic. Yeah. And we do appreciate all the support that you've given both the INC and INC Live over the months. We are appreciating it more than ever. And especially the sort of contributions that you make over on the Patreon page. In return... We've been trying to get out as much uh, sort of exclusive content as we can. So we've got our own sort of spin-off series, or OK, Caged, where me and Joe will talk about pretty much anything that comes to mind, like a good half an hour chit-chat about... It's all sort of like our version of room service diaries, if you want to put it that way. Um, also on the Patreon page, you can nominate uh, retro reviews for Joe to cover as part of his series here on INC Live. Speaking of which, Joe... We do have a retro review which will be coming out later this week. And bearing in mind that we're in California, it's appropriate that we're covering one of California's favorite sons. So
1: who is the subject and what are we covering? To quote, to quote actually my opening line on the retro review, but it's such a good line, I have to use it. Out on bail, fresh out of jail, California dreamin' Nick Diaz is here. You know, I had to reference Tupac there, but uh, Nick Diaz, you know, the favorite, well, probably the favorite son of California MMA, uh, him or Uriah Faber, right? Um, and Nick Diaz, Paul Daly is the car that I got, which that fight is, I, I, I hadn't seen that fight in like maybe five years and it was like just, a, if you know, you know, kind of fight. I don't want to spoil too much, but Wow. Uh, it almost was Strikeforce Miami, which was really fun. In the comments we were all saying, like, you guys have no idea what you're missing out on with Strikeforce Miami.
0: I was rooting for Strikeforce Miami. <laughs>
1: which turns out we all were. And we actually debated going, can we just do that one anyways? <laughs> but uh, I wanted to talk about Bobby Lashley. Dude, I wanted to talk about Herschel Walker. Because <laughs> I think that's the fight where he gets head kicked and just goes, <laughs> It's. It's amazing. He just screams at his opponent and then rushes in. It's a, it's fantastic. Um, so that is but, what you
0: can look forward to on Thursday. That's going to be our day when we upload all of the retro reviews. If there is a retro review card in particular that you want to nominate for just $1 a month, you can get the chance to nominate one. We'll pretty much cover anything within reason. That Joe can get his hands on um, and also you get access to all of our exclusive content some of the um, we're unlocking some of the videos that got blocked off YouTube so they're going to be on there soon enough. INC Uncaged as we mentioned. In March we'll be covering another retro review series uh, so Joe with it being uh, Women's History Month in March we're going to be celebrating the fairer side of the sport. So what is
1: our subject? What are the nominees? The nominees, uh, I actually forgot all of them but I remember <laughs> I remember two big ones uh I, I know the winner or uh, what I'm, could I be the I'm... winner the poll is still open oh yeah technically the poll is still open isn't it yes I can tell you what you guys should vote for um <laughs> hear me out guys the uh, you have a ch- <sighs> I'm going to it pulling up this <laughs> I, thought after, I thought after
0: I thought what happened last month we would have um, tried to
1: close you, that loophole you would think I would be pretty good at this at this point but uh, i've made a terrible mistake <laughs> uh, <laughs> um it is uh do you have the list there in front of you i i do, you do yes list? i My, do I, you're just you're just watching me drown at this point because <laughs> <laughs> it's uh i it's invicta one um i don't have it here in front yeah, of time, I, was it I, invicta i, I should seven
0: i should point it out okay so for international women's month we thought it would be appropriate that we would cover A classic fight card from the all-female promotion Invicta, which over its history has been sort of like the starting point for several of the great female fighters of all time, future UFC champions, that sort of thing. So we thought International Women's Month, nobody's ever going to, let's be honest, nobody's ever going to choose an Invicta card as part of the Patreon request, so we thought we'd get sort of tick that box and see, um, try and celebrate one of the most important promotions when it comes to women's MMA. So- and one of the
1: most underrated ones ever. Because like, uh, cause we have Invicta 1, great card, it's really good. Uh, Invicta 5, which I think has the best female fight of all time on it, personally. Like, that card is unbelievable. Uh, Invicta 13 and Invicta 21.
0: Yes, uh, Invicta thirteen, of course. Chris Cyborg at her destructive best. Three title fights on that one, and then almost on sort of like the other side of the scale, uh, one of the most entertaining Invicta cards as well,
1: including the fight that got Megan Anderson into the UFC. Mm-hmm. She's the, she's main eventing twenty one against. Uh, oh, I forget her. I remember her last name is, but what was her first name? It's Shaman. Not so sweet tweet. Okay, I I was like going like my brain went to Charlemagne tweet. And I was like, that's not it. You're not saying that. Yeah. Um, I just think yeah, T- T- He was it. also in the UFC. I thought she was in Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, great, great show. Fantastic. Fantastic
0: show. show. Patreon.com forward slash. It's not cage fighting. If you do want to try and help us out, we do really appreciate it at this moment in time. Uh, I think some of you would have been aware of some of the sort of copyright issues that um, we've been, hit with the channel over the past couple of weeks. Uh, so just basically to keep us uh, ticking over to try and pay Dom and Alex for their voiceover work, any contribution that you will you give us will be greatly appreciated and you get tons of exclusive content in the process. For now though, this is the end of the UFC 298 preview show. My name's been Carl Bainbridge, that's been Joe Neal, and we'll see you again next week as we travel to Florida for UFC 299. This is the INC.